Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on X at TheLinesUS. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. I'll introduce my guest co-host in just a moment. But remember, if you're looking to bet over at BetMGM Sportsbook, first-time users can use promo code TheLines, one word, to get up to $5. If you bet $5, you get $150 in bonus bets instantaneously. That's promo code TheLines, one word, with BetMGM Sportsbook. All of the disclaimers are over at thelines.com. You can find our bets in real time in the Lines Discord channel. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Now it's time to bring aboard Justin Perry. You can follow him at Justin Perry 8 content lead over at Shot Quality Bets. What's going on, Justin? You had a big, big win for St. John's over the weekend that you attended against Creighton. Yeah, good to be back, Eli. Good to see you again. I had a great weekend, you know, talking about that St. John's game I got to go see. It was honestly so much fun to watch them pull away. I think such a a tell. The crowd really wasn't too certain that St. John's was really going to win until we got into like the last two to three minutes and it was a 10-point lead and Jenkins hit like a a dagger mid-range shot to put him up 14. Kind of felt that relief uh, for the whole city, the whole fandom, that maybe we are really going to get this this tournament game for New York's team. Really excited. I was decked out in my NIL, Rick Patino and full team gear, uh, always supporting the guys. So it's a lot of fun. It's great to have real, like, major-level college basketball back in the city. Of course, I love my mid-majors, but the excitement, Madison Square Garden, beating Creighton, it's just it's different. It's different. I thought the biggest difference in the game really quick, and we discussed it on last week's episode of Outside Shots, St. John's closing around plus two and a half, plus three, so creating around a one possession favorite on the close, and obviously St. John's covering some alt spreads if you decided to go with the Rick Pitino Armani suit angle. But (laughs) the one thing that stood out to me, Glenn Taylor played 30 plus minutes, 10 boards, three offensive rebounds and six assists. I thought he was really good in transition with his decision-making. And not only has St. John struggled with its transition defense, but also with its transition offense. I mean, you think about guys like Chris Ledlam and RJ Lewis, who have really struggled to make those precinct passes when St. John's has been on the break in some one possession games. Like one game stands out was at Providence. I think both Lewis and Ledlam had critical turnovers in the final five minutes in transition. So Taylor was really good. And the fact that he's back in the starting five and getting major minutes, I think really helped out that Johnny's offense. Yeah, it was, it was great to see really excited to watch them. Maybe, maybe take form a little bit. Of course, there's a lot to, you know, still have happen and they probably need another big test. This was a, a letdown spot. If there ever was going to be one for Creighton who, you know, quote unquote played their Super Bowl against UConn just the week before getting a big win coming east from Nebraska. Never going to be easy. Uh, St. John's sort of ready in the wait there. I didn't think their Georgetown win by five on the road was very convincing. So they were probably waiting to get up for this game. I'm not I'm not sold on St. John's and like a run this season or anything in the tournament. But uh, I, I definitely do trust Rick Pitino to get the program trending upwards in years to come. Yeah, and St. John's also is just a perfect matchup against Creighton's drop coverage. There's only so much you could do with Cockbrenner, only so much McDermott can do with Cockbrenner on the floor, only so many adjustments he could really make like we saw in the first matchup when St. John's nearly pulled off the upset in Omaha. But 
Some other takeaways to keep in mind as we kind of look ahead to the week that is, by the way, St. John's going to be around a one-point dog at Butler on Wednesday night in Hinkle. But Wake Forest, upsetting, quote-unquote, even though the Demon Deacons were two-and-a-half, three-point home favorites against Duke. And the reason why I say upset in quotes is because they stormed the court. Now, typically in that situation, when a court storm happens, the team is an underdog like we saw with Creighton against UConn. Now, Wake Forest wasn't ranked Duke top 10 team, I think, per the AP top 25. So, typically, I'm sure some students were aware of the fact that Wake Forest wasn't or was a favorite, even though sports betting is coming to North Carolina, actually, in a couple weeks right ahead of the ACC tournament. But the big news coming out of the court storm, Kyle Filipowski suffering an ankle injury. John Shire said, earlier today as we record this on Monday that he's unsure if he's going to be ready to practice this week and he hasn't had x-rays yet now the latter nugget makes me think it's not too big of an injury you would think if it was a serious ankle injury that he would have had x-rays but you have guys like Billis coming out earlier today saying that court stormers should get arrested (laughs) you could handle it better like we saw at Creighton kind of protecting the bench the away bench with UConn in the sense of making sure none of their players got trampeded or hurt. But there's a difference between having the utmost protection security-wise for the opponent and then saying fans should get arrested. Look, to to Jay's credit, he said arrest them once, trap one group of court stormers on the court, detain them all, and then no one would ever do it again as the example. I don't think he's saying arrest every single one in perpetuity. Uh, but I I mean, what what a take. I, I'm not really of that same mindset. I personally, I understand obviously player safety is paramount. We need every single major player as healthy as possible to give every single credit we can to the eventual champion, right? You don't want that, that asterisk of, oh, Kyle Filipowski got injured and Duke wasn't at full strength and, uh, you know, and they were, you know, I, you don't want to give people excuses, especially not Duke fans. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of bias. Duke is probably uh, one of the strongest brands in college basketball. A lot of talking heads come from Duke. Jay Billis, Duke guy, uh, you know, I've worked on Coach K's staff. You're going to get a little bit of uh, a lean probably. But he did also say that the media is clearly a little bit more complicit than maybe they make out to be. We show those shots in the media we used to not. So uh, it definitely is encouraged. I think it's it's fun. It's part of college basketball. I get Duke a top 10 team, a big school. Wake is a, a much improved program. Winning this game is probably not something that used to be as in the cards. And the students probably were not taking it as, you know, what, a foregone conclusion just because you're minus two and a half. I mean, I hope we as gamblers don't take that as a foregone conclusion just because the line is set somewhere either. So still a really big win as a program for Wake. I'm not going to sit there and say they shouldn't storm because they're a one basket favorite. If you're a three and a half possession favorite, we can start talking. But Wake, this is still a big win. I think there are obvious uh, discussions that need to be had, maybe about like, uh, I don't know, some some timers, some type of more enhanced security in specific situations where a storm could be brewing. Um, but you know, we don't have the storm chasers anymore from Barstool to tell us when it's going to happen, but I still think the administrations do know the leagues can anticipate it and maybe a little bit more security personnel or an awareness to the fact, even when you're a player, uh, it's been happening for years. I don't think we can do away from it. And I don't want the most impassioned fans who make college basketball, what it is 
to be told like no more showing your love for your team when they get you know a a momentum defining season defining win it was wake forest's biggest win in the steve forbes era too not yeah, only probably sure. school history honestly when you think right. about college basketball at wake yep. but one of the things that impressed me along with uh, Hunter Salas, the Gonzaga transfer, playing so well offensively, oh, yeah. 29 points, 5 of 6 from 3. I mean, he was lethal everywhere. He shot the basketball, especially when Tyrese Proctor was guarding him, and that was an issue when those teams played the first time around at Cameron Indoor, except Wake Forest just shot terribly from 3. So when Duke adjusted and switched everything, which is what that defense tends to do, Wake Forest really couldn't do anything about it, but Wake shot 9-17 from three. Also, Cam Hildreth, one of the more unheralded point guards in college basketball to me, not only because, I mean, he had an efficient game to an extent himself, especially getting to the line, getting to the rim, but also playing through a broken wrist and playing that well. <laughs> only two turnovers. He's maybe not their primary ball handler. Salas handles the basketball too, but technically Wake Forest point guard. So that stood out to me, the fact that he's playing through that injury and did it and helped Wake get the win, even though it wasn't technically an upset from a betting standpoint. But one last note from the weekend that was in college basketball. Houston tied with Purdue for the second shortest odds to win the national championship. You could probably shop over at thelines.com right around plus 750. And this is by far Calvin Sampson's best team when you look at offense and defense per on a per possession basis winning at Baylor closing as around two and a half point favorites. I think you cashed with the Cougs when we discussed this bet or this, the market doing ahead of the weekend card last week on outside shots, but yep. man, Jamal's Chad was so good. 10 assists, only two turnovers, Houston trailed for only 24 seconds of 45 minutes, even though Baylor nearly covered and obviously pulling off the outright upset or nearly doing so. But among higher usage players in college basketball, you look at those who have at least 14 possessions per game with the ball in their hands. His assist to turnover ratio, Jamal Shad, I'm talking about the third best nationally per synergy. So not only is he in the conversation, probably the Big 12 defensive player of the year, but just one of the best pure point guards in the country. Yep, I fully agree. And again, some of his... His play has just been so unbelievable. I, I'm i such a big fan of what they've done in Houston. It feels like their time is coming. Uh, they continue to build these teams that uh, I think, you know, I would say do it unconventionally, right? Uh, we actually just sent out a tweet about it from Shot Quality. They are, you know, 351st in rim and three rate. They do not uh, take the most effective shots. They take a lot of mid-range shots, but they slow that tempo down. They get good looks. And, and they're still able to convert because they play to their players' strengths, right? Like they have designed their offense to effectively take advantage of what their players are able to do. And, and so shot quality gives them a lot of respect for it. They are far and away right now uh, the best team in shot quality. And, you know, you probably could have gotten a better price. But if you want to ride with that team that looks good on the outside and looks good under the hood, it, it's going to be Houston. On to the weeknight slate as we get started with Tuesday night games. Just a heads up, Justin and I recording this. Before the market for much of these games opens up, we do have the Tuesday spreads for the three games we're going to discuss on 
Tuesday night's card, but Wednesday and Thursday, we're obviously doing this with projections for myself, Haslametrics, and Shot Quality, the great work that Justin and his team do over at Shot Quality and Shot Quality Bets. But getting started with Kentucky at Mississippi State on Tuesday night, Bulldogs opening as a two and a half point home favorite, and that shouldn't come as a surprise. Haslam makes this game, though, closer to Mississippi State minus one. I actually have a closer to a pick. So you're kind of getting both of these teams a peak market value, especially with Mississippi State on that five-game winning streak. I know Kentucky lost at LSU last week, but dominating Alabama, I think you cashed on that bet as well, Justin. So shout out to you for that one last week on outside shots. But how are you gauging this one, and what does shot quality make the number? Yeah, so this one, shot quality has really close a one-point win for Kentucky here on the road over Miss State at 81-80. to 80. So uh, it's it's going to be pretty interesting. Some preliminary lines starting to, to roll in a little bit here. We're going to probably like that Kentucky side. Uh, and it's definitely one of those spot tax things that we talked about, right? This is a home team in Mississippi State that I feel like is going to get a lot of love from the market and probably rightfully so. I mean, this is going to be a difficult spot for Kentucky coming off of uh, what a, what a game, Um, you know, and obviously you don't necessarily often score what 117 points. It was an unbelievable performance. So I wouldn't be shocked to see the market kind of, you know, expect maybe some regression shot quality Uh, really did see that game as much lower scoring. For Alabama, Kentucky, Kentucky shot 75% on shots at the rim. Their third best of the season, 54% from three, 13 of 24. So not just by percent, but obviously by volume two, it was their fourth best uh, shooting performance by uh, percent behind the line. So uh, it's going to be hard to repeat that. Shot quality expected a much more pedestrian, 86 points to 83. So uh, just lit it up. It's going to be hard to do it again. I, I do get why the market's going to go towards Miss State, but I personally tend to stay a little stickier. I'll hopefully see if I can get something like plus three. If it moves to like plus three and a half, count me in on Kentucky. Yeah, and I want to stay on the tax that we discussed in previous episodes and also with this game in particular because a trend I saw since 2017, unranked teams, 179.97 straight up, 64.9% when listed as a home favorite versus a ranked opponent. And that's good for a plus 5.6% ROI. So maybe you take Mississippi State on the money line if you like that trend. And I am not stating that trend just for context to say, okay, back it, Mississippi State, back the Bulldogs. Just to provide a little context to it, though, it's typically when the market thinks the road underdog is overvalued. So it really depends on what you make of Kentucky. Is their market power rating too high at this point? And it obviously is to the point that you brought up a little bit ago. It's a revenge game for Mississippi State. So the market trending in that direction, too, when it comes to the point spread, losing by double digits at Kentucky at Rupp in mid-January. Now, just going back to the Alabama game, you mentioned how efficient Kentucky was at the rim. They probably used their most efficient lineup of the season. Dillingham, Reed Shepard, Antonio Reeves. Justin Edwards, who was so good from behind the arc, probably his best long-range shooting efficiency of the season, and Big Z. I think Cal said that the European transfer, he decided to play in major minutes when he woke up in the morning or something like that. So, first time in a while. It worked out, man. It worked out. And Justin Edwards, really quick, overperformance by 14 points. It's crazy. 
Wow. No, good nugget for sure. So maybe you think he regresses offensively, which he very well could in a tough road environment. But just a couple of nuggets that I don't have a big enough edge in this game to advocate any bet, but a couple of reasons why I make the game a pick and why I kind of side with you with Kentucky, even though we all we're going to see it, Justin. We both know it. Kentucky going to be the public dog on Twitter, of course, (laughs) on X, because that matters so much in in the context of any betting market. But Mississippi State, obviously a true low post offense. And this is probably the first true low post offense that Kentucky's facing since about a week and a half ago when they played at Auburn. And keep in mind, Kentucky only allowed a 54.2% clip at the rim, which is pretty good. And the Wildcats also rank in the top 50 when it comes to near proximity field goal percentage allowed overall. So we're probably going to see less of Big Z in this game, more of Anyenso who played 36 minutes against Auburn didn't play nearly as many minutes against Alabama, which makes sense because Cal had a little bit of a different game plan in that game. And for a good reason, also a couple other reasons why I'm hesitant to back Mississippi state here, even though Tolu Smith maybe gets his against Onyenso a couple more times than Broom and Cardwell did against Kentucky's rim defense. A Mississippi state ranks in the 14th percentile when it comes to transition points allowed across college basketball. And with this game potentially being so tight in terms of the point spread, Bulldogs rank 324 in the country in free throw percentage. Outside of Josh Josh Hubbard, who shoots at about 80% from the free throw line, Shaquille Moore is the next best free throw shooter on this team in the low 70s. I mean, it's not only a tough team to back come tournament time, but in this game, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a definite issue. Um, You know, it's always sort of been a problem. (laughs) <laughs> with this team and we've talked about it for a long time uh shooting lows uh you talk about the uh, what is shot quality on on mississippi state we go to those fun miscellaneous stats we we rank sh- shot making right because we understand how difficult shots are and then how good players are at making them to come up with our analysis that we can then also the the extra factor in there is like how good you are therefore at making shots so Mississippi State as a whole coming in 284th. That's that's 13th in the SEC. It does not get much worse. So it's going to be tough. They need to develop good looks to score, right? They're going to have a tough time if you can keep them from getting to their desired spot. Um, They don't really develop a lot of open looks from deep, but they do take a lot of shots from rim and three. So they're not getting great looks. Um, and they're not going to convert a lot of them. So there's a lot to worry about, you know, but they are also going to kind of be shot quality darlings because they should be making more shots. It it seems last year, Mississippi State was the unluckiest team in all of shot quality. So you were able to get a little bit of an early season edge on that being a little too baked into some of the priors. But at this point, they're just showing it again. The shooting woes have not gone away. On to BYU at Kansas. This one... It's the Big 12 deal with ESPN. It's on ESPN+. Plus, Even though it's a pretty good matchup, Kansas opening around 5.5, minus 5.5, minus 6 at Allen Fieldhouse. And Haslam actually projects it closer to Jayhawks, minus 4.5. I have it around Kansas, minus 3.5, minus 4. But keep in mind, Kansas dealing with a big injury. Kevin McCuller, knee injury, likely keeping him out of this game. And Bill Self actually said yesterday he's more so week-to-week than day-to-day, which makes me very skeptical about Kansas long-term if this right. could affect him not only in the Big 12 tournament, but come March Madness. What do you guys at shot quality make this game? I pick them. 
is now that's a it's a, a big it's a bold one BYU going in here uh it's gonna be tough for them I don't know how I personally feel about that projection of course getting a, a little bit ahead of myself here but going in to Kansas for this game is never going to be easy BYU struggling a little bit right they haven't covered in what five of their last six taking some losses to Oklahoma Oklahoma State Kansas State now I I tend to like Kansas here personally but the shot quality number is definitely going to say grab BYU which which makes a lot of sense because shot quality expected BYU to cover a lot of these games it had a 86 71 win for BYU at Kansas State had a 80 to 68 win which was pretty close to actual versus Baylor but then expected a win versus Oklahoma State expected a bigger win against UCF expected a win versus Kansas State expected a win versus Oklahoma so yeah, you know, it's been a good shot quality year for BYU. They are number eight in shot quality right now, missing a win in their record per SQ uh, in total. But yeah, they're they're deadly. Good spacing, good shooting, kind of on a down run and, and maybe don't fully deserve it. Uh, a tool I really like to use from SQ is narrowing the regression stats down just to conference play. And, and you can see that BYU is really uh, getting the worst of it from their opponents in terms of facing hot shooting three-point percentage, three-point higher than expected on defense. And they're really also getting it at the rim, too. They're allowing a 59% success rate from the rim, shot quality expecting 55. So considering how often those types of shots are taken, you're talking about a good, you know, four or five points a game difference on average in conference play right now, at the least for what BYU is doing. So it wouldn't be shocking to me if it turns out, you know, in, in retrospect, this was a great time to buy in on BYU, a downstretch in late February. We've seen it before with teams that go on to win championships or go on runs. It's not as crucial as we might think in the minute. I remember, you know, UConn having the same type of issue here. So BYU could definitely round out, be a dangerous tournament team. It's their first year traveling to a lot of these spots, dealing with this uh, Big 12 conference schedule. I think once they get back to some neutral court games, they, they might look as deadly as they did early season. I'm definitely buying in on on BYU there, but going to the fog, man. I'm still I'm still waiting. <laughs> maybe maybe even a better spot to buy them after they lose this game. Right, and, and that's kind of my line of thinking there. I think this the reason why the market may be inflating this one a bit. It's kind of for good reason. To your point, BYU maybe should be covering more times than not, but that's because mm -hmm. they've struggled to shoot well on the road, which showed up against Kansas yep. State, and also. BYU ranks number 355 in Haslam's away from home metric. So this one coming at one of the toughest road environments yeah. in college basketball. And by the way, just for context, they shot around 19.4% from deep against Kansas State on Saturday. Also, just a couple nuggets for Kansas, even without McCuller. Bill Self kind of commenting about his rotation after the game, and they played a pretty efficient game against Texas, blowing them out. But... He wanted to kind of stagger the minutes with Johnny Furphy and Nick Timberlake, and both of those guys actually in Kansas's starting lineup, along with Dewan Harris, Hunter Dickinson, and KJ Adams. So by default, Timberlake essentially starting for McCuller. But among the Jayhawks starters, Furphy and KJ Adams were plus 16.2 in points per 100 possessions per CBB analytics, which is Kansas's best two-man combination this season. Kind of stunning to read and dig into yeah. a little wow. bit. And then Amarco Jackson and Jamari McDowell have only played 64 minutes together, so it's a small sample size, but they're plus 25.2 in points per 100 possessions. 
And they had actually the highest plus minus when it came to two man sets against Texas. So maybe self has kind of found something you sometimes hear the cliche, you grow a little bit when, or it's not, I'm not yeah, stating yeah. the exact cliche, but you grow when an injury happens and you got to figure out your, your rotation on the fly. Yeah. Jayhawks might've found something, even though they definitely lack depth with that being said. Look, that's what I'm telling myself about my Knicks right now. I know a little segue, but you, you miss all your best players. You're figuring out guys where they can get shots, how you can continue to free up uh, good looks because basketball yeah, I mean, I'm going to, this is shock quality's whole mantra. Basketball is more about the process and that's more repeatable and, and getting good looks, even when you don't have your best guys in is really great practice because, you know, if McCullough comes back healthy, he's going to have to sit in the tournament and they're going to need those same guys who stepped up, you know, in his absence to step up on the second unit against a red hot team that's looking to, you know, knock them out of the tournament. So I like it. I think it definitely does, you know, build character or whatever you want to call it, but uh, look, Bill Self is one of the greatest coaches in the game right now. I would not count him out. I definitely lean towards Kansas. Uh, I, I've seen minus five and a half, minus six. I would not be shocked to see that, you know, when the limits get taken off tomorrow, it'll be around minus seven. If BYU wants any shot of not only competing at the fog, but also in the tournament, to your point, maybe a little bit of a buy point, just depending on the way the market gauges them come March Madness. But Jackson Robinson shot one and nine from three. Their leading score. Yeah. I know BYU is pretty uh, well distributed when it comes to the scoring department points per game, but you're going to need Robinson to shoot better off the bench than one and nine like he did against K-State over the weekend. But third and final game that we're going to hit Justin here on the Tuesday slate, Loyola Chicago at St. Bonaventure. This one opened Bonnie's minus three and a half, and it's probably going to surprise some people, even though Haslam makes it Bonnie minus four, St. Bonaventure minus four, and I have it right around minus four as well. Loyola Chicago, they've won four straight. They're tied with Richmond atop the A-10 standings, and a little bit of a look ahead spot too with Dayton, a huge, huge, huge A-10 clash in Chicago on Friday night. So you look at the standings, you say, okay, how is St. Bonaventure a two-possession favorite at home? Obviously, a lot of reasons why, so I'll let you take it first. I mean, yeah, this is this is a really interesting one. Loyola Chicago starting off super, super weak. Early season talk was, oh, uh, they're going to fade. But, you know, you go look at some of the graphs, it has been trending up and up and up and it hasn't really slowed down big win against george mason by almost 20. i love this game because it's a clash of of directions and and the bonnies have been kind of going the wrong way but uh yeah they they have one of the best home courts in the country uh it, it's just the truth of the matter this is a huge game they have some incredible support it's going to be rocking there uh and, and bonnie they need this win they are not atop the conference like you said there's some major players right now. Richmond is actually tied with Loyola Chicago. Dayton's in third. So the A-10, you know, these last final four games are shaping up to be really exciting. It's going to be a fun tournament in Brooklyn when we get to Barclays. But uh, yeah, shot quality makes this one right around the line, right there around three-point win for St. Bonnie's. Maybe a little bit uh, of that uh, market favorability towards the home team here because you have that look-ahead spot. You have a red-hot Loyola Chicago who has just been uh, you know, running uh, out of their boots, honestly, Eli. Uh, the 20-point win expected to be only two over George Mason. Uh, they had uh, that win over St. Joseph's expected to be a loss, uh, which was, you know, I, I guess pretty fair at home. St. Joseph's can be good, but definitely running a little hot, looking like a team that might be worth kind of going against right now. But 
personally, I'm a little worried about the Bonnies. I do think Loyola Chicago could come in there and bring that momentum in and just continue to find good shots as they have. So uh, no personal play for me on this one yet. Of course, a New York game. So I, I really do have to wait for Tuesday to get my hands on this one. <laughs> well, kind of digging into shot quality and some overall numbers over at CBB Analytics. So Loyola's post-defense, I think per shot quality, has been due to regress, and we've kind of seen it of late yeah. per the numbers. They're allowing the fifth-ranked overall two-point scoring defense in the country. So their rim defense and post-up defense has been good all season, but negative regression has started to come like you guys over at shot quality have thought was due, at least in conference play. So their yep. paint defense over their last 10 games ranked in the 44th percentile. So if St. Bonaventure gets Chad Venning some good looks down low, I know Loyola has some size, but maybe teams struggling a little too much, and Venning is a pretty good post-up player. And then also, Loyola dead last in the conference when it comes to turnover percentage offensively. And this Bonaventure ball pressure led by, I think, the Cincinnati transfer, Mike Adams-Woods, second highest turnover rate forced in conference play. So I think it is a good matchup. I get I get it if you don't want to get in front of the Loyola Chicago train, even though it's a look ahead yeah. spot per my numbers. I think this line is pretty fair, but still it could be a, a, a let, not a letdown, but it could be a little bit of a look ahead for the Ramblers. If they're gearing too far ahead to the Dayton matchup on Friday. My big worry right now, Eli, is that you want regression is looming for St. Bonaventure's offense too. I mean, sitting here right now, 1.12 points per possession in the season, shot quality expecting 1.04, shooting 37% from deep on the season, 40% from mid-range, 57% at the rim. These are just hard to sustain numbers, and they're already having a down year. So if you can believe it, uh, it might not be as you know by low as you might think right um so i don't know i don't know i'm I'm definitely thinking about loyola just i think at this time of the year when you see teams kind of change direction and, and maybe find their groove after struggling even if they're overperforming, sometimes that can be them sort of getting that mojo that back that you know that when you look at it long term is more of like the correction from the underperformance not as indicative as future underperformance and yes you're bordering on reading tea leaves at this point but uh it's also part of like understanding like the the program the i guess the the desires and what the coaches are going for and and the trajectory and how they're actually playing so i do like what i'm seeing out of loyal chicago i do think they are expecting themselves to make a really big run here i had a preseason future on them to win this conference so i uh, probably stick to my guns and stay on them and expect a, a season-defining win here, maybe in a little bit of a reverse look ahead so that if they struggle and lose at Dayton, uh, they still hold that one-game lead in the standings. There you or go. You're out, game. Yeah. Trying to be optimistic about getting the, getting the tinfoil ticket. hat on a little, a little, but you know, late late season college basketball, sometimes that's as good as any strategy, honestly. So the numbers definitely do back it up. Bonnie is looming a little of regression. Loyola in their ascension. So I, I think I might trust what I'm seeing a bit. Yeah. And I think the market to your point is also pricing in maybe Loyola oh, outperforming yeah. expectations in some, mm -hmm. some games, like you mentioned, St. Joe's, they shouldn't have covered that game. It was a three point Crazy. game down the stretch. They closed four and a half point home favorites. And then St. Joe's fouls with, I think under a second to go. And Loyola goes to the line that one on Valentine's day too. So anybody with a St. Joe's ticket out to dinner, probably 
maybe threw some food around and probably got <laughs> broken up with. Yeah, I didn't get dessert for sure. Exactly. On to the Wednesday card in the marquee matchup. One of the marquee matchups of the week. Tennessee has two huge games uh, this week, not only against Auburn in this Wednesday game, but also going to Alabama-Tuscaloosa on Saturday night, potential revenge spot for the Tide. But looking at this midweek one in particular, Auburn at Tennessee. Haslam makes this closer to Tennessee minus three. I have it around Vols minus two and a half just because I make it a pick on a neutral court. Jalen Williams, even though the injury report hasn't been announced just yet, presumably out with that knee injury. Uh, Tennessee destroying A&M on Saturday night by 30-plus. Auburn not struggling at all in Jalen Williams' first game. Uh, Missing from that knee injury. I want to go over some things that I really actually liked about Auburn from that performance in his absence. But what do you make of this one, Justin? I mean, tough, tough game to really get a sense on. Either of these teams, I feel like, could just come out ahead. Um, there might be some merit to just expecting like the winning margin by either team to be like 10 points because someone's going to get the better of the other. Someone's going to find a way through this matchup and, and learn to limit the other throughout the game, figure out how to penetrate the defense. It's, it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be very, very interesting, of course. Both teams excelling on both sides of the ball. Top 20 offenses per shot quality. Tennessee a top 15 defense. Auburn a top 40 defense. Neither one really expected to see much regression. Uh, Auburn's offense may be overperforming a little bit. They look maybe a little bit more like a top 10 offense. Again, shot quality saying a little bit more like top 20. Ah, Man, it's going to be a crazy game. Both these teams can, you know, shoot with the best of them good catch and shoot three-point shooters good three-point percentages um but yeah i would honestly i think i lean a little bit towards the under if i had to make a play on this one i think you're probably going to see a total maybe close to like 150 uh shot quality going to make this like 147 and a half projected tennessee to win by one and a half points right now so it, it should be a very interesting one looks like the uh the catch and shoot three-point percentage for Tennessee is going to make a big deal and, you know, Auburn's going to need to finish at the rim over Tennessee to really get it done. So I'll be watching on those early to see how that gets started and maybe place a live bet depending on how shot quality expects them to be doing. Looking at your potential bet for this game, both teams combined to score. I think this was their lone matchup or actually they played Auburn played Tennessee in the regular season finale, winning that game by nine. But when they played in Knoxville, a combined 89 points. I kid you not. So maybe <laughs> worth a look to the under. But And kind of to that point, because I, I was watching the Auburn game a little bit of a, against Georgia, and Bruce Pearl was throwing out some interesting lineup combinations without Jalen Williams, obviously, in the rotation. He actually played some Denine Broom, Dylan Cardwell minutes, and they combined for, oh. a, when they were on the floor together, net rating of plus 56, offensive effective field goal percentage of 68.8%, a defensive effective field goal percentage of 31.3% when they were on the floor. So, and that kind of makes sense when you kind of look at the eye test because you have two huge bigs and probably a good chance to create second chance shots. And to that point, Tennessee has struggled to limit second chance opportunities in SEC play. And if you do decide to go some Broom Cardwell minutes again. I'm talking about Pearl. It does match up well if Barnes goes with 
Adu and Awaka for stretches like he did in the Texas A&I game over the weekend and of late too because Tennessee has struggled a little bit on the defensive glass like I mentioned. One area of concern I have for Auburn among others but kind of the key one is the point guard matchup. Zakai Ziegler against A&M 14 assists zero turnovers the most assists from any player this season without a turnover per sports reference, which stacks up. You wouldn't expect a player to have 14 dimes and zero turnovers. But going up against Aiden Holloway, who was reinserted back into Auburn's starting lineup after that bye week, essentially, he did come on well, and he finally got his stroke back, five of eight from behind the arc. But tough road environment. I just wonder how he's going to perform because he has performed inconsistently when it comes to his shooting efficiency beyond the win at Georgia and the cover for the Tigers on Saturday night. One other thing to mention too, when it comes to a defensive matchup, and then I'll swing it back to you, Denver Jones against Dalton Connect is going to be interesting because Jones has transformed into one of the best shadow defenders really in college basketball to me. So I'm really wondering how that's going to match up against one of the best scores off ball and on ball in Dalton Connect. So a lot of interesting matchups stay away for me numbers wise. What about you? Yeah, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head in terms of analyzing some of these major matchups. And I, I like this game as a nice test for both of these programs for what it's going to be like come March. Because, again, elite teams, maybe one of the best matchups on the SEC calendar right now in just terms of how this conference is looking. I'm really excited about this one, honestly. Auburn, again, I, I think it's still leaning towards the under. I'm looking at some of these stats. They The shot selection allowed is elite. Um, of course, you know, in terms of the side, I do think Tennessee might be able to cut up the defense a bit because really Auburn allows really good spacing to their opponents. And like you mentioned, Tennessee's passing is very, very high level. So if they can get some good spacing, some good cuts to the rim, I, I do think Tennessee probably edges this game out. But a low scoring one really does feel like it's in the cards here. Um, you're going to see probably a pretty pretty good amount of transition be attempted, right? Both these defenses uh, do, or both these offenses try to run and transition a fair amount, especially Auburn, who's ranking in the top 25 teams in terms of frequency. I'm interested to see how that goes, right? Tennessee, a pretty stout defense in terms of keeping opponents from getting those easy looks. Again, that all sort of just continues to point towards the under. Every bucket's going to be at a premium. This is late season, big battle, seeding in the tournament. Um, you know, seeding in, in the SEC tournament, too. So there's a, a lot happening here. And uh, I, I just like it to come down to the last buckets, you know, some good defensive stands. And, uh, yeah, I'll take the under on that one. Don't blame me there at all. I think it if it opens around 150, even 147 and a half, which yeah. is the projection from Haslam, probably a little bit inflated. And to your point about spacing out Auburn's defense, also wondering how often Barnes will put Josiah Jordan James at the five because that would completely space out Auburn's yeah. defense. And and Broom can get spaced out when you think about ball screens and getting him matched up against some ones and twos. We've seen that, especially going back to that first Alabama-Auburn matchup when Mark Sears took advantage a couple times or a few times even when he was matched up with Broom at the top of the arc in one-on-one situations, whether it was off-the-dribble threes or just off-the-dribble attempts at the rim. And he got the best of a little bit of a slow-footed broom and even Dylan Cardwell in that first meeting before Auburn got revenge. On to 
another matchup. This one between two unranked teams in the Big Ten. Northwestern at Maryland. Haslam makes this Maryland minus three. I actually have it. This is probably, if this one opens under a full possession, Justin, probably my biggest edge of the games we're discussing. I make it mm-hmm. closer to Maryland minus four and a half, minus five. And want to dig into some numbers, and I'll do that in a moment after you go. But one thing about Maryland, when you think about, they're not only one of the unluckiest teams in the Big Ten, but arguably the unluckiest team in college basketball. One in nine in games decided by five points, so two possessions or fewer this season. One of those losses coming at Northwestern in January, so a bit of a a revenge spot for the Terps. Uh, They rank number 348th in three-point percentage, highest turnover rate in Big Ten play. So you would maybe expect a team to struggle in a one- or two-possession game when those two variables aren't going your way. What do you make of this one? Yeah, this is a really, really interesting game. Northwestern has been uh, kind of a a powerhouse. I mean, like you said, Maryland a little unlucky, but I've, I've liked this Northwestern team as a team to just be betting on sitting here, you know, what's uh, their shot, their ATS record, like 15 and 12, not exactly powerhouse, but uh, still a lot of green recently covering four of their last five. Uh, I think what six of their seven of their last nine. So yeah, kind of all, all getting those, those wins against the spread recently is field pretty reliable uh, in terms of just beating market expectations. Shot quality is going to have this one with you, Eli for 4.7 to be exact. So call it five. Um, this should be, a fun matchup for these teams. Northwestern has been very stingy with the ball and, and Maryland's going to be, I think a team that maybe challenges that, especially at home. They do have a, a decent forced turnover rate in terms of what they can do on defense Force some tough shots, top seven percentile in terms of defensive shot selection allowed, you know, have faced some good shot making. So I think like that speaks to your point of how unlucky they are. Teams have come in and shot, at a top 20 percentile, like luckiness, shot-making uh, ability rate. So teams actually coming in and hitting some tough shots against them, maybe a little bit uh, leading towards some perception that they aren't as good as they might actually be. They limit open threes on defense. They're really good at getting to the free throw line. So I think for a, a home team, that's what you really do want to see. So they're going to get those fouls. They're going to get those good-looking points at the line there. Uh, and, and everything else kind of stacks up. They're, they're real... I guess, issue in terms of what their offense brings is probably ending up in too many isolation possessions. So uh, especially when you slow it down like Maryland does, it can get a little bit sticky. But Northwestern, you know, they they should give Maryland every chance to to get a nice win here. (laughs) They're also slow. So I would I would expect this number to open pretty low. Like, you know, the shot quality projection right now is 131. So expect a low total, expect a rock fight, and maybe even consider still going under just because of of the way some of these possessions are just bound to end up with isolation, turnaround, mid-range jumpers. Yeah, Maryland coming off of that blowout win at Rutgers. But I think the total still was around in the low 110 range in terms of the combined points between the two teams. Rare Rare these days, man, with how how the offense looks across college basketball. But, yeah, it's it's still the Big Ten. Right. And one other thing to the point that you brought up about Northwestern covering so much of late. Over the last 10 games, so one game – kind of stretching it out one game further because you mentioned 7-2 ATS in their last nine. Road loss at Nebraska. Nebraska is a powerhouse 
at home. If it was played, if the national championship game was played in Lincoln, I'm pretty sure Nebraska would win the national title. You have an overtime win over Illinois at home. That was Terrence Shannon's first game back. Honestly, probably a a little lucky to get into overtime in that one. A home win against a Chris Holtman-led Ohio State team that is playing better under Jake Diebler like we saw in that upset win at Michigan State over the weekend. Uh, Overtime losses at Purdue, at Minnesota. Kind of fortunate to get to both of those overtime statures in that regard. And then home wins, a home win against Nebraska. Like I mentioned, Nebraska much different on the road versus at home. A road loss at Rutgers. Not a good Scarlet Knights team. Road win at Indiana. Not even close to a good Hoosiers team. And then a home win against Michigan that had two key injuries and no Doug McDaniel kind of gave Purdue some fits in the first half on Sunday, even though I think the Boilermakers wound up covering the spread or it was pretty tight. Also, Ty Berry out for the season, their best three-point shooter, arguably their best defender, or at least around the arc. And a couple of the reasons why I like Maryland, really, really good pick-and-roll defense, which is what Boo Booey relies on. And Maryland also, I mean, overall a top, the number one defensive efficiency in Big Ten play. But Northwestern's opponents rank in the 89th percentile in offensive rebounding rate. And like you mentioned, Maryland, a really good team at getting to the line because they generate a lot of second chance shots. Julian Reese and Jordan Geronimo, two of the better second chance creators in the Big Ten. And Geronimo also healthy, which is why I think Maryland is starting to play a little bit better. I actually, you know, believe it or not, man. I have Maryland power rated close with Wisconsin. I know Maryland's depth is an issue. I know they don't shoot well, but I may be looking to bet Maryland Big Ten futures just because I still really like this team and they've gotten unlucky and they have played better away from home than they did last year. So I'm curious if that'll translate to a neutral court-ish at, you know, in, in Minnesota for the Big Ten tournament. But I really like Maryland in this spot. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, the issue for Maryland right now, obviously, you go take a look at some of their, you know, four factors and, and the percents they allow on defense and coming in as a top six defense and Ken Palm is not easy, right? It, it is a, a difficult thing to do, especially when you allow the 346 lowest free throw percentage against. So if they can calm down, you know, keeping those hands to themselves a little bit, like the effective field goal percentage is beautiful. Their defensive, uh, you know, at the rim is incredible. Like, Uh, They don't allow you to take a lot of threes. They're forcing opponents into like good looks in terms of what, you know, you want on a defense. So, yeah, I think, you know, you have something like that. It could definitely come together. The offense is definitely missing. I think they will, you know, have a chance to get out of the first, second round, uh, you know, come tournament time potentially. But uh, there's there's still something, uh, I think, a little bit missing. Uh, Kevin Willard doing a good job, but. That same type of departure against the top seed in the second round of the tournament seems uh, pretty, pretty likely in terms of, of where they're going to end. But I definitely like them in terms of a potential run in a Big Ten conference tournament where we routinely see that like some of the teams with their eyes set forward in, in the championship can sometimes bow out a little early and, and the defense might very well end up winning it for uh, a team in that conference championship. So, yeah, I like it. I think it's a good angle. Maryland could definitely surprise some people. Uh, I don't think they're expecting to go for, you know, cutting down the nets uh, in in Phoenix this year, but they could definitely, you know, surprise a few people in Minnesota. 
Yeah, not like him, not making my future look too good when it comes back to the preseason. <laughs> I expected it happens. It does. I expected a lot more from Deshaun Harris Smith and Jamie Kaiser. I know they played a little bit better of late, but still pretty inconsistent. To I mean, Harris Smith was a five star freshman, and he has been not anything close to that, at least when it comes to his offensive efficiency. But one last thing on the Big Ten, Purdue. I mean, I kind of make this conference overall. I think it's a pretty bad Big Ten conference when you look year over year. I don't know how much Purdue is going to want to win the conference tournament title. Obviously, every team wants to win it, but they won it last year trying to make a deep run in when it comes to the actual NCAA tournament. So if they get bounced in the, in the semifinal, okay, Illinois has outperformed expectations playing one of the worst schedules across college basketball. Their best win may be FAU, which has underperformed at least the public's perception, not our perception as betters. A little bit of a fluky run to the Final Four. Last year, Wisconsin has struggled of late. Northwestern dealing with a Tiberi injury. Nebraska, so good at home, not so much on the road. Michigan State is a mess because Tom Izzo keeps favoring his veterans over five-star freshmen that could actually space the floor. So I really think the league tournament's going to be wide open, man. I do. I do too. Again, like you said, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, You talk about Maryland and they're going to sit in like the top 50 of a lot of rankings and, and be in the bottom third of the conference in standings. So yeah, I I do think they can get a little momentum rolling. And, you know, sometimes you see these teams coming from the first rounds, not getting the buys, uh, starting to feel good, win a few games in a row. Should be fun. I can't. I, we're we're like you know two days from March. I, I can't wait. It's gonna be a great <laughs> couple weeks. Wednesday night card finale, at least here on Outside Shots. I'm gonna let you handle this one. I have a nugget on one of them when it comes to their long term outlook. But Louisiana Tech at Western Kentucky, two of the top three teams in the conference USA standings. I make this a little over La Tech minus one and a half Haslam. Louisiana Tech minus two projection in terms of the total one forty six. Western Kentucky won this first matchup by five on the road. Granted, Louisiana Tech didn't have Talik Chavez, their second-best three-point shooter, but what do you make of this one in the second of two meetings, at least in the regular season? I mean, this is this is one of the craziest games you're ever going to try to handicap. Uh, huge, huge game here in, this in uh, what is this, Conference USA. And, uh, you know, Eli, we were texting back and forth. We mentioned, like, Conference USA losing so many key members – uh, of course, you know, a lot of these big schools doing really well, FAU, Charlotte. Uh, it, it's been fun to watch these products coming from this conference. But the product's still good here. And Louisiana Tech is locked in a battle with Sam Houston, who has just come over into the conference. Western Kentucky is in third. This is a clash of teams that look so different. Western Kentucky is the fastest-paced team in the country if you haven't watched them play it's crazy and and louisiana tech is a little slow so we're gonna see another clash i tend to think uh this one ends up going a little bit differently uh shot quality had this one uh going towards louisiana tech western kentucky won 81 76 shot quality saw an l tech win of 72 69 so uh getting that away win i tend to lean towards louisiana tech who is i believe one of the few teams who is like leading their conference in, in I believe, both offensive and, and defensive metrics. I'm not sure if that has still stood up, but it does. Uh, they, are, yeah, they are just they are dominating. So I think revenge on the mind, the loss. They probably feel like they shouldn't have taken. If they have, you know, if they have a uh, shot quality, they know that they were expected to win it. So 
yeah, the the defense looks so good for this team. I think Western Kentucky, even though they they're kind of high flying and they move really fast, it's not super effective. So uh, yeah, give me give me a nice win for Louisiana Tech here on the road. I think we'll get uh, that favorable help from the market. Um, so hopefully we can get something like a pick'em, and I'll I'll take the uh, the road team here in Louisiana Tech to get that win back on the record. I got to give by the way, shout out to Steve Lutz what he's done bringing in a couple key transfers, Rodney yeah. Howard from Georgia Tech, one of the more underrated bigs uh, from that conference, at least over the last couple of seasons. And then Dante Allen, too. I know he was there last year, but if you remember him from a couple of years ago at Kentucky, so pretty underrated transfer because he means a lot to them when it comes to their floor spacing. And then on the flip side for Louisiana Tech, I can't wait if this team gets in the tournament talking about March Madness as a 13 seed or maybe even a 12 if they go on a run here down the stretch. Daniel Baccio transferring over from Texas Tech, averaging a double-double. And this team overall, like you said, first in adjusted offense and adjusted defense of the conference. But overall this season, 42nd in adjusted defensive efficiency across Division One, Elite yep. defense, really good rim protection with Baccio leading the way. If they get into the dance, man, I know everything depends on matchups, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I kind of expect one win, this kind of being an, uh, an upset potentially, whoever La Tech gets matched up against. They're, they're a very good team. I would not want this to be, you know, the mid-major I run up against. They, they're what they're currently leading shot quality, which makes sense. They lead shot quality in, in expected defense against shots at the rim. I mean, that's just feeling Bacho's presence, the expected metrics line up with that they have a little bit of trouble attacking the rim themselves but yeah they're they're a bona fide top 100 program i think they could give a lot of teams a run for their money it is is not going to be fun to see what they do uh they are the number one defense against half court sets by shot quality in the entire nation allowing an expected 0.85 points per possession uh and then you know transition to under one point possession and transition is sixth in the nation by shot quality it's a lot of really, really good numbers lead in finishing at the rim. Uh, it's it's going to be hard. They're going to make anyone's day really tough. They're going to lock down the paint. They're going to know that you're going to have no choice but to either shoot like well-contested shots on the interior or you're going to end up taking uh, you know, some three-point shots. But they also chase you off the line. So a lot of mid-range shots on defense. And again, as long as they don't maybe get a matchup against like a St. John's and a team that can destroy your drop coverage, yeah, uh, I think they could be a, a tough out for anyone. Finale here on Outside Shots. Looking ahead to Thursday night, Gonzaga at San Francisco. Haslam makes it around Gonzaga minus two. I have it around that number as well. Gonzaga winning the first matchup between these two teams at the Kennel by five. Up double digits with just over two minutes left. So maybe a little bit of a fluky final score if you look at a five-point margin versus what the game was at over the last couple of minutes before reserves came in. But what do you guys over at Chat Quality make this game? We got this one as a dead, even heat, slight point two point edge for Gonzaga. Total projected at 149 and a half. Uh, man, what a battle. Yeah, so Gonzaga won this by five uh, at home, expected to win it by nine. So now, you know, depending what the line is, I, I do lean a little bit towards Gonzaga. Uh, I, I think they, they still have the shot making that you want from a team to get it done in, in tough scenarios. Don't allow opponents to get to the free throw line. Don't let opponents take the most valuable shots. Keep good care of the ball. Top 25 type level of turnover percent on offense. 
the spacing uh, a little bit lackluster this season, maybe not what you used to see in past years from this Gonzaga product, the defense maybe missing a little bit of that oomph, but still super efficient attack in the rim, getting offensive rebounds. Uh, they maybe need to go away from the post-up game a little bit. Uh, their frequency of post-ups is fourth highest in the nation. They're really good at it, but of course, you know, that style of shot being a top 20 team in the nation in terms of your post-up expectancy still only generates 0.9 points per possession. Uh, they can just go to the catch and shoot and increase their efficiency by 10%. So uh, they should probably just continue to shoot more. I'm obviously always going to say take a lot of threes or get to the rim, but uh, they, they clearly can do it in the post. So that can be a very good clutch time shot. This is going to be a close game. Eileen Gonzaga probably take the money line. And, uh, you know, maybe if you think this is where they start their run, this is a good time as ever to get in on them because if they do get an away win against a, a tough conference opponent, someone that is giving them a little bit of a run here for the conference itself, uh, yeah, I, I think the price probably goes down if they get a good win on the road here against San Fran. Yeah, and looking at some of the numbers from the last matchup, looking at USF's rim defense and post-up defense overall, they both rank in the 79th percentile across college basketball or better, at least in the 79th percentile when it comes to their rim defense and post-up defense. But in the last matchup, Watson and Ike, Graham Ike, you mentioned Gonzaga's post-defense or, or post-offense, I should say. Ike did that at Wyoming, and now we're seeing it again with Gonzaga, especially when you go back to that Kentucky matchup from a few weeks ago at Rupp. He dominated the Wildcats down low, but they were both super efficient in their last meeting against the Dons. So I'm kind of wondering what's going to give in this matchup. That's also why I give yeah. Gonzaga a slight edge per my projection. Now, USF is playing really good ball, nearly upsetting St. Mary's on the road. Last week, they covered Jonathan Mambo, one of the best transfers in the country that nobody yeah. is talking about, kind of in line with Bacho averaging a double-double. I'm curious what San Francisco's pricing is going to be for the West Coast Conference Tournament. St. Mary's not going to need to win that one to get in. Gonzaga probably, unless they go on a run to the title game, maybe lose a close one to, to the Gales, and then they get an at-large, maybe even the playing game in Ohio. But I don't know, man. Dons could be interesting as another long shot. Yep, they could. They could. I, I think they, they definitely have the chops on offense. The defense needs maybe a little bit of support. But if you're looking for a ticket like, you know, a Sweet 16, Elite 8 type run, I don't see them, you know, Final Four would be spectacular. But, you know, getting out of that first weekend, I don't see as totally impossible for this team. Shot quality has a lot of good things to say about them. The top five efficiency in both attacking the rim and transitions. So, uh, again, it's really going to be about the defense. They they do force a lot of turnovers. So uh, they that's a big deal, right? Like shot quality, if we could give it its, its most pure name, would be possession quality. And so uh, the more possessions you get, the more likely you are to win a basketball game. I don't know. Uh, there was a crazy example last night of like a team score taking like way more shots and losing. But usually you get more shots, you win more games. So forcing turnovers, getting to the line, good defensive rebounding. Uh, again, the real issue for them is they need to improve their defense around the rim. They are due to be doing a bit a bit better in it. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely has been a little too good for their opponents, which is probably going to handicap them in the tournament. Uh, and, and yeah, so I'm a little out on them. I need to see a good finish here. Of course, they do not have a cakewalk of the last two games. They play Gonzaga here on at home, and then they're going to, to Santa Clara, which is not going to be an easy game whatsoever. So 
Uh, yeah, great team. 21 and seven should be 18 and 10 per shot quality, but the defense is really what's going to hold them back here. I think at the end of the season, so a little pump into the brakes, but yeah, to win the conference tournament, I, I dig it, especially maybe uh, with, with St. Mary's looking ahead already. Right. Gonzaga, like you said, if they win this game, yeah. price is going to be pretty steep, especially if they win at St. Mary's in one of the regular season finales on top of the fact that those two teams likely to link up at least per what the odds are going to be to win the West coast conference tournament in that specific market. But wrapping it up here, Justin biggest edge for me of the games we discussed per my raw numbers, really only Maryland, especially if that line is at or under a possession, what numbers and what kind of bets are you looking to make just to stamp home? Yeah, you know, I think there's going to be some really interesting meat on the bone for Wednesday. I'm taking a look at some of those games. I, like I said, I'm probably going to be on Loyola Chicago. That's probably, I guess, my biggest edge for Tuesday if you want that game. But in terms of, you know, maybe taking a look at that Auburn-Tennessee game, I do like that under. There, There's going to be some good spots for unders here towards the end of the season. I think we're starting to see a little bit of that slowdown. Some of these games start to mean a little bit more. Defense comes out, you know. Players have played 27 games now. Uh, motivations start changing. You can maybe start handicapping spots based on, you know, what teams need for conference tournaments, for seedings. Everything starts to get so interesting. Some teams start to pack it in and go home and, and look forward to, you know, their, their breaks here after the college basketball season a little bit. But, yeah, uh, that under for Auburn, Tennessee feels really good. And I think the Ramblers go into St. Bonnie's and, and cap off what is – been a, a disappointing year for Bonaventure. You can follow Justin Perry at Justin Perry 8 on X. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. You can follow the lines at the Lines US. Justin, any promos before we get out of here? I know you have some shot quality bets live streams coming up later this week and the launch of your own new show. Yeah, it's a big week. I mean, March around the corner. We got to do it right. Shot quality live betcast will be Tuesday, Thursday, 7.45 p.m. We tap into those big 7 p.m. slates. Use Shot Quality's brand new live regression model to attack live bets, in-play bets, halftime bets. It's been a lot of fun, hitting around 58 59% throughout about 350 bets in 24 episodes. So it's been a lot of fun. And then, yeah, I'm launching my own talk show. It's a new little experiment. Excited to hopefully have you on at some point, Eli. But just panel-style discussion. It's called The Justin Perry Show, but it's going to be the least about me possible. Excited to just have, like, unique voices coming on, talking about basketball, giving some high-level opinions. But you know, doing it in like a, a casual way, just a, a bunch of smart friends gathering around, talking about some college hoops, joining the chat. So hopefully we just have a good time and, and develop a nice community there. So really excited about it. And I think it's going to be pretty unique. Great episode of Outside Shots. If you want to share your best bet or thoughts on our edges for this week's games, you could do so in the comment section on YouTube. You could also subscribe, rate, and review to Outside Shots. Just search the lines on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Would really, really appreciate it if you don't mind giving a five-star review and rating. Always helps boost the podcast. You could also use promo code The Lines over at BetMGM Sportsbook. One word. If you bet $5, you get up to $150 back in bonus bets instantly. And you could also find all of our bets over at thelines.com when it comes to our staff members in real time in the Lines free Discord channel. Link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. So for Justin and for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening 
to another edition of Outside Shots. We'll be back on Friday. So long, everybody, and good luck with your bets.